Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast. So we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thanks, Doug. Checking elsewhere around North Dakota after a busy 4th of July holiday weekend, Devil's Lake remains busy for walleye activity with fish moving into deeper water because of the warmer weather. Dry bottom bouncers and spinners with nightcrawlers or leeches working the weed edges or along the Golden Highway. In addition, work deep for some nice white bass activity. Lake Ashtabula has an ongoing steady perch and walleye bite with improving bass activity, and there are anglers working both sides of the Ashtabula crossing as well. Recreational boating remains popular out west on the Missouri River around Bismarck Mandan, and even though more water continues coming into the Missouri River system, access can still be an issue in some locations farther south going into Lake Oahe. Upstream around the Missouri River tail race, though, look for a nice mix of walleye and catfish coming from boats, and there's some nice improving sizes now showing up. Try the blowout area below the spillway using a variety of presentations, and generally there's fair to good success. From shore, you'll want to try the spillway area as well, or the boat ramp, and you'll find probably both catfish and walleye. The east end of Lake Sakakwe is still a little inconsistent, but it's generally improving for walleye. Try Douglas Bay, the islands around the east end, about around along the U.S. Highway 83 embankment, and the points along the north shore in 12 to 18 feet, using spinners and nightcrawlers or leeches. A few small salmon are coming from along the face of the dam, using a variety of presentations. The Indian Hills area is also producing walleye, and you'll want to try 8 to 22 feet along the warmer water of the south shore, Try leeches and nightcrawlers, but a few anglers are still finding minnow success. The midsection remains the hot spot on Lake Skakawea, though, with the west end still muddied up from runoff. The Van Hook Arm in the midsection's good for walleye. Larger fish are coming when anglers are using minnows or leeches in deeper water. Try around 24 to 30 feet. The bigger numbers of fish, though, are coming on night crawlers in shallower water around 16 to 18 feet. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then. And not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. In this segment, we're going to chat a little bit of hunting, a little bit of land management, 
with a new guest to our show, Jeff Miller. Jeff is a writer, he's a grower, he's a wild fur craftsman, and he's also the director of Cass County Soil Conservation District. How are you doing, Jeff? I am doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, when you talk about conservation, a lot of people that listen to this show think when they hear conservation is how is that going to improve my hunting? Although not all conservation, a lot of conservation has nothing to do with that. But a lot of our listeners want to know that. How can they make the best use of their lands and improve it for hunting at the same time? What are some things that uh, they should be looking at? You know, the first thing to do is kind of look at your land and, and figure out what is going to work best. You know, if, 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 if you've got property on a really sandy area and a prairie, prairie area, you know, you're not really, really able to plant trees. So you're going to want to look at some perennial grasses that can both attract and hold wildlife. Um, if you're a, a, near a river, river area or a slough, you know, you can look at doing some trees perennial grasses, some food plots, you know, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of improvements to really attract and keep wildlife. And that's really what it's about is wildlife can be almost anywhere in the summertime when there's food everywhere, but it's, it's the fall, the winter and the spring when there's less food that, you know, having, having bedding cover, having, having natural forage and having hiding cover really, really come into, into play. So Jeff, it sounds like cover is just as important as food sources is that right or is one more important than the other i think they kind of got to go hand in hand they do you know it's it's it uh it really is kind of a double-edged sword you know if you can have all the cover in the world but if there's no food you're not gonna have much wildlife and you can have all the food in the world um but if there's no cover you know again you're not gonna have much wildlife so it's kind of surprising sometimes how little cover it takes to really hold you know, everything from small game up to up to big game. You know, I've seen deer that, you know, a quarter acre of trees or, or a little patch of perennial grass. It doesn't it doesn't take much. You know, it just you kind of need to have that have everything there. And, and it's, it's a lot easier to to create that than a person would think, you know, and sometimes even working with, uh, you know, agricultural producers to leave some maybe an acre of corn or something near a bedding area really, really can help. So, you know, even if you own land, there's, you've always got neighbors and and working together can really a marginal property really uh, pop for, for wildlife by, by working with, with your neighbors and, and other people around you. You know, it's so much fun to be able to do that and feel like, and see that you're making a difference for that habitat one of the questions that I get asked a lot, Jeff, and I, I'm really interested in your kind of perspective on this, is what kind of lead time should people who are landowners expect before they see a noticeable improvement or a noticeable difference in that habitat? You know, planting trees, is it going to be 10 years? Is it going to be one year? What do you kind of um, set as far as expectations? You know, trees, you know, so so through the Cass County Soil Conservation District, and all the conservation districts in the state and around the country, plant bare root conservation great stock. So they come dormant trees, they're maybe six to 20 inches tall. So they don't look like much at all. And, and you plant them, they come out of dormancy and they start to grow. And a lot of times if somebody's looking to, to improve the wildlife on their, on their habit, on their property, we'll kind of go with a mix of fast growing shrubs, um, fast growing trees, slower growing trees, maybe some conifers. So um, for instance, willow or dogwood, you're really going to see those willow and dogwood start to provide some habitat in a couple of years. Um, you know, if you're planting mass bearing 
trees like oaks, that might be 15 or 20 years, you know? So a lot of times you want to kind of make a mix of it, you, you know, to appeal to, to wildlife early and, and later. And even some of the, the succession planting, you know, some of the most popular trees we plant are hybrid poplars or a seedless cottonwood, uh, trade name is Sulin Cottonwood. They grow really fast. You can have a 10-foot tree in five years, but in 20 years, that tree is going to start to decline and die within 30 years. So if you start out planting some of those, mix in some hackberries or some oaks or box elder, something that's going to live 100 years, you know, because everybody... It, it's tough to watch oak trees grow. They go very slow, you know, and, and most people want more immediate gratification. So you kind of want to mix in when you're looking at trees and shrubs. Now, grass is a different story. Perennial grasses, you know, uh, it's e e even your your uh, native prairie grasses, in a couple of years, you're going to have an established, established habitat. Uh, you know, you there's some manipulation involved. You're going to have to mow it to keep the weeds down the first year or two. Um, even some pr some uh, prescribed burning can help. But perennial grasses are going to grow a lot faster than than the trees and shrubs. So, um, and you know, even when you're doing those perennial grasses, a lot of people will look at, you know, switchgrass is really popular right now. Switchgrass stands up real well in the winter. But you certainly don't want to do a monoculture of, of switchgrass. You want to do a, a variety. Uh, last year during the drought, I was at some prairies that we had planted that species that we had planted there, but had never seen in four or five years because the conditions weren't right. So if you do a diverse native mix, uh, those species can respond to, you know, wet years like this spring or dry years or late winters or early winters. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket by any, any stretch. Diversification is key for, for habitat. So Jeff, it sounds like, your recommendation, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like having a plan before you do anything is probably the first thing you need to do. That is the most important thing to do. Luckily, living in the upper Midwest, we have long winters where we can do a lot of planning. And planning is, is, is very critical all the way, you know, the, the starting thing we always do when somebody comes in is look at the soil map. You know, uh, we'll have people that move here from other parts of the country and they, you know, really love Douglas fir. Well, Douglas fir may have grown where they where they come from, but Douglas fir won't grow here. So we got to look at the soil map, determine what species are even suitable, and then move forward from there. And, and a lot of times people will come in and really want to do a lot of things that first year. And that's, again, in, in December, January, when we're sitting in the house or in the ice, in the ice house fishing, that sounds like a good plan. And then May comes and there's a million other things to do. And if you kind of bite off more than you can chew, you're going to really struggle and that, that that's going to fall apart. So a lot of times it's a good idea to do things in succession. And even if you've got 10 acres to try to convert 10 acres into habitat is, is unless you can d dedicate your entire time to it, it's not going to work. So you, you want to plan, you want to bite off what you can chew and do things that you can maintain and kind of go forward from there because it's just it's a lot of work it, you know uh planting trees keeping them watered keeping the deer away uh it it takes a lot and the actual planning and even the even the seed all that stuff is kind of pales in comparison to the cost into the into the time so you've got to be able to dedicate the time energy and effort to it to really make it work or, or else it's kind of all for naught so, Jeff, it sounds like, and we only got about a minute left, or maybe even slightly less, but it sounds like uh, 
people need to get a plan. Do you have resources available to help people make that plan? Yep. Yep. So no matter what county you live in, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, go to your local um, NRCS slash soil conservation or soil and water conservation district office. And we have all kinds of resources. And the best part about it is the planning process is entirely free. It doesn't cost any money to come in and get a, any sort of plan you want. So it's a, it's a free resource and we're uh, every, every office has very competent land managers, planners. So yeah, come in, sit down and we can kind of go over exactly what you want and get plans together and, and then, and then go forward and, and uh, implement it. That's awesome. This is Jeff Miller, director of Cass County Soil Conservation District. Thanks for coming on Gone Outdoors. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.